this morning. For those of you that were wondering, yes, I knew we had sang that before. It was just a loop to bring it around. It's okay. Getting lots of smiley faces out there going, Brother Ben, you know we sang that song once already. Good morning. It's good to have everybody here this morning, this uh, bright sunny day. It's good to see all of you in service. It's nice to see uh, some of us are coming out, some of us are going in. So those of you that are... um, streaming this morning. We want to welcome you and uh, hope that uh, you can join in with us. For uh, those of you that are here, it's great to see you this morning, to be able to worship with you this morning. I'm thankful to be here, aren't you? Amen. We've uh, we've got a couple visitors with us. Uh, We want to welcome Tammy that uh, is... uh, Right, your aunt. I did have that correct. Sister Sabrina's aunt. It was explained to me that it was Sister Sabrina's mom's sister, which I think is aunt. So we'll hope hope you feel welcome here. Of course, they're no strangers. They're family. It's good to have Brother Wayne and Sister Faye here with us this morning worshiping. It was uh, made my heart dance a little bit this morning when I saw them out in the parking lot coming in. It's always good to see them. We love them a lot. um, We're going to sing one more song, and then we're going to go to uh, the Lord in prayer. Open the service. I'm going to have Brother Wayne to come and uh, take our prayer requests before the throne this morning to open the service in a word of prayer. Let's sing Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Aren't you thankful he's your provider? Amen. When things are scary or tough or wondering what in the world's going on in our world right now, I'm thankful for Jehovah Jireh. Amen. Jehovah Jireh will my provider will you are more more than enough will for me
uh, Brother Wayne, if you could come. We just have uh, quite a few uh, prayer requests we want to remember. We want to remember the Irish family there away, uh, Brother Steve and uh, Sister Sarah uh, Coffier in uh, Virginia. Um, We want to remember Sister Shirley Buchanan uh, is not feeling well this morning. Brother Ron Knobloch is at home uh, not feeling well. We want to remember uh, Brother Jaron who is uh, working. Brother John Cochran, the Cochrans are away. We want to remember uh, Whitlock's. Uh, David had to work. We want to remember the Pascals are not here. Uh, we want to remember Sister Karen Buchanan. Her, uh, her dog, Max, is uh, going through a rough time. So we want to remember Sister Karen and Max. God thinks about those things. Amen. Uh, those pets can be dear to us sometimes, and uh, we want to remember that. We want to continue to remember uh, Brother Ron Spencer, of course, in prayer. Amen. And if you have any unspoken prayer requests, just make them known by the uplifted hand. God sees our hands. Amen. We may not all know what's going on inside of each of our hearts. Amen. But God knows what's going on. Amen. And He is there and He will answer our prayers. Amen. Let's uh, reach out to Him as Brother Wayne comes. Brother Wayne. Thank you, Brother Ben. It is good to be here this morning. Good to see each one of you. We love you, and you're still always in our hearts. And uh, our services were canceled this morning at the last moment because of someone that in our assembly had been around someone that had the virus. So they canceled them. So we're here this morning, and it's just good to come in and be with you. Feel His presence this morning. Sweet Holy Spirit, there's nothing like it. And you know, He's more than enough this morning for whatever we need. Each request this morning, I'm not going to go over all of them, but a lot of hands were raised and a lot of requests here. But God heard that request this morning. And we're going to bow our heads and believe God to meet these needs as we all pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, it's good to come into Your presence this morning, Lord. And Lord, when we come today, Lord, that's what we come for, Lord. That we might commune with You, that we might sit in Your presence, Lord. Lord, to feed upon Your goodness, Lord, in Your Word. Fellowship and with Your saints, Lord, and most of all with You. We pray this morning, Lord, that You would come in this service, Lord, in a special way today, Lord, and speak to each and every heart, Lord, the things that we need today to hear, Lord. And Lord, for these requests that have been made known this morning, Lord, we believe that somewhere in eternity this morning, God, you hear each need, Lord. Father, we pray you would just meet them, Lord. God, we pray that you would just go to each special one, Lord. Each hand was raised. And each name that's been mentioned this morning, Lord, God, in touch and heal or whatever it might be the need this morning. Father, Lord, we believe you're more than able. You're more than enough, Lord, as the song said, for our needs. Lord, bless these people this morning. Bless the word as it goes forth. We pray in your precious, lovely name and ask it. 
we pray. Amen. I am the God that healeth. You are the Lord that healeth me. You are the Lord that healeth me. You are the Lord, my healer. You sent your My disease, you are the Lord, my healer. You are the Lord that saved my soul. You are the Lord that saved my soul. You are the Lord, my Savior. You sent your word. All my sin, you are the Lord, my Savior. I am the God that healeth thee. I am the God that healeth thee. I am the Lord, your I am the Lord, your healer. Amen. Not only is it our physical diseases He heals, amen, but it's also our emotional and spiritual diseases He heals, amen, amen. I'm thankful for that. Turn and wave to those that are around you. Welcome them to the service. And uh, it's good to have everybody here, and you may have your seats. We're going to sing uh, Come and Dine, and then the Buchanans are going to come and bless us with a song. Amen? Aren't you thankful Jesus has a table? Amen? It's spread. All we got to do is come and eat. Amen? Didn't have to do any prep work. Nobody had to mash the potatoes. Nobody had to make the gravy ready. Amen? You just get to come and eat. Amen? Thankful for that. Jesus has a table spread where the saints of God are fed. He invites His chosen people to come and dine. With this manna He doth feed and supplies our every need. Oh, it is sweet to sup with Jesus all the time. So come and dine, the Master calleth. Come and dine. All the time, he who fed the multitude turned the water into wine. To the hungry call it now, come and die. The disciples came to land, thus obeying Christ's command. For the master called to them, come and die. There they found their heart's desire, bread and fish upon the fire. Thus he satisfies the hungry every time. So come and die, come and die. You may feast at Jesus' table. 
We're going to change the order of the service as uh, our pastor comes and uh, we get to the most important part of our service. Amen. Hearing the word. Um, Let's sing that song. Um, This is your house. Aren't you thankful that we're in his house? Amen. And that we are his house. Amen. Amen. This is your house. Father, come and dwell. This is your house. A holy house of prayer. Where the lost and the lonely bring their burdens and their cares. This is your house. Well, this is your house. Lord, come and dwell. We are your house. We are your house, Father, come and pray. We are your house, the holy house of prayer, where the lost and the One more time. Lord, we are your house. Father, come and dwell. We are your house. O holy house of prayer. Where the lost Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have to be able to come into your house, be able to sing your praises, Lord, and to be able to rejoice over the things that you have made known to us in this last day. Come, I pray now in the volume of the book, Lord, and speak to our hearts. We chase every contrary spirit away. And Lord, may your Holy Spirit come and have preeminence among us today. Lord, just breathe upon your word and breathe upon our minds and our hearts that, Lord, we might be open to what you have for us to understand. And, Lord, may we not be just hearers of your word, but doers of your word as well. 
as we lay aside our ambitions and our thoughts and our goals, Lord, and we take the will of God as our absolute and as our guide today. Father, challenge us in the hearing of the word. Build faith in our hearts, Lord, and prepare us for the land to come. And Lord, we'll give you thanks and praise for all you have done for us. Lord, we pray for those who are sick and those who are not well. Those who are not here today, Lord, we commit them to you. And whether they listen now or later, Lord, bless them with those that are here in the sanctuary. We commit our time to you, Lord. We ask that you would just bless our gathering in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated this morning. God bless you. We'll let our musicians take their places today. And we welcome all of you to the house of the Lord. It's certainly good to have all of you here today. Uh, Brother Wayne, Sister Faye, good to have you uh, with us today and, and each one. And Tammy, I believe it is. Good to have you here today. And uh, may the Lord richly bless you. Let me give you a couple of announcements and exciting uh, things that are happening here so that we are uh, all on the same page. Uh, Julian, good to have you here today. We, um, we've noticed uh, with uh, Brother Steve and Sister Sarah, they are uh, not been here. We mention them every Sunday. They are very much still a part of HBT and what we do here, but we sure miss them. They're attending the, the church up in uh, Christiansburg, and so we miss them. Uh, not being here on Sundays. Their service is right in the middle of the afternoon, so it requires them to travel up in the morning and come back in the evening. Uh, so we miss them. We also miss the drums. Brother Caleb, Brother Ben, Sister Rachel Pritchard, Roger Gibbs. Uh, we miss them as well. They were not mentioned this morning. And uh, we uh, miss everyone who's not here. And there's, there's some people for different reasons who are not here uh, and some people are just kind of laying low because of the conditions out there. But uh, we miss them, and I hear from them and communicate with them. And Sister Shirley's down here, Sister Karen, and uh, each one of those folks that are uh, now with us today, with the Biltons who are not here either. And uh, all, of the, all of those folks are certainly missed. Now, we, uh, I mentioned to you before that, um, well, let me, let's just follow our, our, our pattern here. Or our screen, if that's all right. Uh, got two birthdays. June 15th is Brother Richard uh, Smith, Brother Richard and Sister Mary. Uh, been staying close to home, and we wish Brother Richard a happy birthday. And also, uh, Sister Christie is her birthday on June 16th. Uh, the McGarrys also are away today, and uh, they're in South Carolina ministering down there. Uh, there are times when uh, there are certain things that, that rise up uh, that I think are special and uh, needs that I think are worth mentioning. And one of them is the need that I mentioned in our update about the Bibles for uh, believers in East Africa. And this is in the Swahili-speaking area. There have been so many new converts, and uh, without a Bible, it's difficult for them to kind of get even the basic uh, you know, reading of the word because they have to either share Bibles or go without them. And so the need for more Bibles there is, a, uh, to me, a great thing. And so I, I, uh, brother, I was asking Brother Elias and the ministers over there how many uh, they thought they would be able to use. And they said a thousand, and that's, that's a lot of Bibles. 
Uh, so we have about half of that money uh, collected already. That's about $7,000, and about half of it's collected already. And it'll go to the people over there. So you're welcome to give to that if you like. I think that's a, a really great cause. The nice thing about that is that Tanzania has a Bible society in the country. So they print the Bibles right there. They'll ship them to wherever we specify without any cost. So 100% of the funds that are given for uh, Bibles goes to the printing of Bibles and not any kind of administrative cost. And uh, it's really great and really effective. And I'll tell you that it makes a big, big difference in that part of the world. So if you want to get, uh, get in on that, uh, you're certainly welcome to. Just mark it uh, on your check or your offering. If you're, do, if you're doing the online thing, do uh, click on Vision Books and put it in there. And we'll, uh, we'll separate it out so that we can uh, make sure that those funds are allocated. We'll be wiring uh, funds probably tomorrow over there, and they've already sent us the, the bill. I put a copy of the bill in the library just so you can see it and, and know that I'm not uh, cheating anybody. It's written right there, 20 million shillings. So that's what we need to come up with is 20 million shillings, and uh, we, can, we can have those Bibles. But the invoice is right. thought I'd put it in there from the Bible Society for you uh, so you're able to see it. There are times when... Uh, there's an image that, uh, it, you know, encapsulates or summarizes uh, what you're trying to do and what you're trying to accomplish. And, and this image that I'm going to show you is one where uh, we, we support uh, the missionaries over there in, uh, in uh, Tanzania primarily, in other countries as well, in Africa and other, other nations. But uh, right now we're sending some things over to Pakistan. We're doing a bunch of things that we're sending to Anwar, who's sending them over uh, to Pakistan. Uh, but in, in Africa, there's, a, there's an image uh, there of, you know, just the, the, the missionaries going out and doing the work. And every month they receive funds from over here. There's another church who was listening to what we were doing, and they pledged a certain amount of money. Uh, also to increase the work of the missionaries that go out and, uh, and be able to evangelize in the remote areas. And these are, these are evangelists who go out in areas where there are headhunters and people live in caves and uh, very, very remote parts of the world. And that's where that Messiah revival uh, came from. There's another church now that uh, recognized what we were doing, and they offered to double the amount of money that's going over to Tanzania every month for more missionaries because there's a need for missionaries to go in different directions. And uh, I thought well, that's, just, that's just so neat to be able to have others join in so we're able to channel funds uh, over there uh, monthly. It doesn't cost us anything to do that. Uh, I have a, a bank account over there, and Brother Elias just goes and draws that out like from an ATM and takes that and, and uses it without any cost. So it's, it's really a great system. And uh, it, it, there's, uh, there was a picture that Brother Elias sent back uh, this week, and I thought I'd show it to you. And uh, we're wanting to do a newsletter, and, and this is it. This is a um, – sorry it's not sharper uh, for you, but this is Brother Malachi, and he went to uh, – right here. Isn't that neat? Brother Malachi, uh, who is who I refer to as a missionary of missionaries, uh, he he went into this village here and met this sister who wanted to hear more about the message of the hour and wanted to be baptized immediately uh, when he witnessed to her. And this is this is a place right out in in the bush, and this is a pen that they use to keep their cows in because the Maasai people will steal each other's cows. 
That's the chicken coop, and that's their house back here uh, in the corner. And uh, this, this sister right here uh, had heard about what was going on among the other Maasai people, and she wanted to read it in the Bible herself. And when she could see it in the Word of God, then she wanted to be baptized immediately in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thought, wow, that, when I saw that, this has really touched my heart. And I've sent this image out to people. And uh, just uh, to me, that, that's what it's about. It's not, you know, great crowds and great gatherings and all the rest of it. It's just the gospel finding the, the very elect uh, in the very last of the last of the Gentiles coming in. And I, I think, uh, I mean, we'll probably never meet these people. they probably never let me go out to these villages here. But uh, to me, that's worth it all to be able to supply and to minister to people like that. Uh, I was just so touched when I saw that picture. And uh, I like to do whatever I can to help Brother Malachi get there because he's a fearless kind of a guy. And if, if I told you what he would eat in that village when he goes there to visit, and you have to eat because you're considered unsociable if you don't eat what they offer you. And they described it to me in detail what they would give him. And I will not describe it to you in detail because it would ruin your lunch. Uh, but it, it's just uh, amazing how primitive these people actually are. But how, how the word is spread even, even within their tribes and uh, the message getting out and, and uh, that there is good news. There is a, a hope uh, that, that people can embrace. And so that's just really wonderful. We had uh, finally books that arrived in Luanda, Angola. After a full year, it's been a year and about two weeks, but uh, these are believers now that are uh, receiving the books over there, and they're just very excited. They have uh, the virus in that country, and it's spreading, and so it's, it, things are moving slowly. But as the ministers get out and evangelize and they go around to different places, they're bringing the books out, and uh, they're able to uh, share the things that... Uh, that uh, God's blessed them with. And so we found, hopefully now we've found a, a sensible channel to be able to get these materials in there, and uh, we're excited about that. So that's ongoing. Uh, the books that uh, are arriving for us here, the Spanish books, they'll be arriving Tuesday. I thought it was last Tuesday. It's this Tuesday, and uh, they'll be coming here, so we'll be bringing them uh, down on Wednesday, Lord willing. So it's exciting, and uh, they are, uh, they are now, by the way, uh, also able in uh, Brother Elias' church, uh, which is the largest church in the country of Tanzania, uh, they're able now to broadcast. They have Internet put in to their ser- into their service in the building, and uh, that's kind of a rare thing for them to be able to have that. And they can stream now to people all over the country. So they have, uh, they have a new mixing board that we got for them. And that means that anybody who has Internet or Internet access or phone, a smartphone, is able to pick up uh, what, what they're streaming out. So this is the very first time that uh, they've had a kind of a coordinated uh, Internet outreach for the whole country. So they're all really excited about that because now uh, if they hold conventions and people are not able to get there, and now where some churches are quarantined and they're shut down, they're not able to move around, if they have a phone, they can tap into the services there uh, from Arusha, which is really great. So we're excited about all those things that are going on. And, uh, you know, the nice thing about uh, the the situation with all of the virus and all the other things that have slowed the rest of the world down, it has not slowed the, the work of God going on in different parts of the world. 
And so I'm very thankful for that. We've just been kind of working behind the scenes and uh, just getting things done, and uh, it's, it's really, been, uh, really been great. All right, having said all of that, and everybody is glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? All right, let's stand to our feet and let's look in the Scripture. And I want to take a little passage here this morning in the book of Galatians, and we're going to start there. We're going to start there and come back there a little bit later on in Galatians chapter 3. But I want to just grab a little uh, principle that's found in Galatians chapter 3. Now, I haven't forgotten our thought on Nehemiah that we were working on, and I'm I'm kind of indirectly going to come back to it here. So just hold that uh, hold that thought and the things that Nehemiah corrected when he uh, did the restoration work in Jerusalem. And now to Abraham, verse 16. I'm in chapter 3 of Galatians, verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. And he saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul, that it should make the promise of none effect. So what came after in the time of Moses could not disannul what the, the promise of the covenant that God made with Abraham. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. And may the Lord add his blessing. You may be seated. <clears throat> now I trust this morning that uh, your amens will be as loud in person as they are on your phone. I want to do this this morning at, the, at this particular junction here, juncture of the service, and that is this. We appreciate um, all of the folks that have labored and worked over the uh, last three months especially and helping things uh, keep going. Brother Jeremy and uh, uh, the deacons and the trustees and everybody who's kept everything uh, in motion uh, over the last little while. And it's, it's not been easy. We've had our obstacles and, and uh, had our difficulties and challenges. But uh, by God's grace, uh, most of you are still uh, delighted to call yourselves Christians. And so we're thankful for that. Uh, but I'd like to acknowledge this morning a couple of sisters who here this morning gave uh, of their time and effort uh, to minister to the young kids online and our Sunday school teachers, and they're still actually working with the kids online uh, because we're not having our classrooms open at this particular point. And so I just wanted to give a little uh, token of our appreciation to Sister Laura and Sister Julie Clayville. And so if you both come at the same time, it's, it's about half as embarrassing as if I asked you to come up uh, uh, individually. So we just have a little uh, token of our appreciation here this morning. Sister Laura, God bless you. Thank you. I won't shake your hand. We'll just say God bless you. Sister Julie, God bless you. And uh, we appreciate their work. Let's give them a round of applause. <clears throat> They're planning lessons and doing things online that are, uh, that are uh, edifying for our kids, and we really appreciate that uh, very much. Now let's deal with this word heritage. I've never, I've never uh, spoken on this particular subject or this word uh, before, this word heritage. But you'll find some of the themes that we're going to deal with here, very, very common things. 
But let's define it uh, as we move along here this morning. I, I wanted to say this at the beginning, and this is something that was just on my heart, that there are a lot of things uh, that are found in Scripture are, are very certain. They're very sure. Uh, to us, there's no question about it. There's not even any, any, hardly any discussion about it at all. I mean, there are things that uh, we, just, we just, in a sense, we take for granted because they're so true. They're so evident uh, that we, we don't even really spend a whole lot of time on proving their existence. Uh, for instance, we know, and, and I think you would agree, that we believe that God is a healer. And he's a healer the same today as he ever was. Isn't that right? That if we have a need, we know we can come to him, and his healing virtue is still as true and powerful as what it always has been. And uh, we, we don't need anybody to come and try to convince us of that. We don't, need to have, uh, we don't need to have limbs spoken into existence to know that God's a healer. We believe that God is a healer today. And he's proven that. And his word declares that to us. And so we would consider that as, as something to be certain and something to be very positive. We also believe, too, that, uh, you know, there are, there are uh, elements or attributes that are in God that are very, uh, very real to us and very important to us, like uh, God's forgiveness of our sins. We believe that uh, without forgiveness, there's really no communion. There's no entering in to his presence, right? Because you remember in the Old Testament type that whenever, uh, whenever there was um, a, a meeting between a righteous God and a sinful person, there had to be blood in between those two. Right? That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. Right? The only way God could continue to deal with Adam and Eve is to have a bloody lamb between them, uh, the, the innocent dying for the guilty. And, and so we believe that without uh, blood sacrifice that there is no forgiveness of sins, but we believe that God is a forgiver today. And I believe that I'm forgiven of my sins and justified and stand as though we never sinned in the first place. I mean, that's a really supernatural thing, but it is something that we believe, don't we? It's a positive thing. We do believe also that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. That there is a place called heaven and there's a place called hell. And there's a place where uh, the righteous go and there's a place where the unrighteous go as well. We believe that that's true. There is a place beyond this life. There is a dimension that's more real than this one. The Bible declares it. We even know, we even know somebody who went there and came back and told us about it. And, and it's not... It's not up for debate. I mean, that's just not, hey, been there, done that. You know, this is, uh, it's too late to argue about certain things like, like that. We could also talk about God's power or God's omniscience. And we, we could, un, we could uh, I mean, in a sense, it would be almost a, a waste of time to try to prove to you that those things exist when we so easily understand that they do exist. And we readily accept that fact, don't we? Don't be afraid now to pretend you have a phone in your hand. We find that in, in our world, those things are very true and very self-evident. But we find also that for the rest of the world and outside of the community, the community of the believers, uh, there's, there's a lot of things that are questionable that they do not find as positive and as real as what we do. Brother Branham makes a statement in the trumpet gives an uncertain sound in 1963. And I, I just want, I want to preamble a little bit this morning, but I want you to just follow me in this preamble here. 
The devil had been turned loose on Job, and he took his family and his children and his camels and his wealth and broke his health down. This is what Satan did to Job. And it looked like everything was gone. But he still said, I know my Redeemer liveth. There was nothing uncertain about that, was there? He was very certain about the revelation that he had. He had a revelation that if he died, that one day he would come back and meet God again. In whatever body God determined, but he knew, he knew, my Redeemer liveth. And one day he'll stand on the earth again. And uh, Job knew that there was a resurrection for man as well. And so through all of that uh, distress and that turmoil, uh, Job came forth with that revelation. And it was a certain thing amidst the uncertainty and the destruction and the chaos that was around him at that particular time. And Brother Branham describes it here. All of his wealth is gone. His camels are gone. His children are gone. Uh, everything is affected. Even his marriage is affected by this. Everything that's sacred to Job is gone. But in the midst of it, he's hanging on to the thing that he knows is very certain. And that is the promise or the revelation that God's given to him that truly my Redeemer liveth. Those certain things are comforting to us. Those certain things are real. They're, they're like anchors to us. And we hold on to them very strongly, very firmly. We find in a message called Hidden Life with Christ in 1956, when you see preachers say, well, the days of miracles is past, and all of this is nonsense. Just remember, he doesn't know God. That's one sure thing. For God will always agree with his own word. Certainly he will. And everybody said, this is one thing that's certain. Even though lots of people will say contrary things, just remember this one sure thing. That God will always agree with his word, certainly he will. God will never lead you to do something contrary to his word. And if you think that he's leading you to do something contrary to his word, and you've got some sort of a notable, uh, you know, a, a, a notable exception that you want to try to bring up to God, you're on your own. I'm just not going to be able to pray for you at that point. I'm not going to be able to back you at that point if you feel like you have an exception to God's word because there's something that you really want to do. And that goes for me, too. I'm not, uh, I'm not shoveling that off on, over onto you. I, I really believe with all my heart that, uh, that every one of us, you know, we've all probably tried to figure out this and figure out that and tried to make assumptions about things. But uh, I will tell you that God will never deny his word. He will always agree with his own word. So he can't lead you to do something that's contrary to his word. If it's God speaking, it will, be, it will dovetail uh, with God's own word. And so, therefore... You know, there's a lot of people today who think they're right, and they'll vocalize the fact that they're right. They'll even pressure you into making you feel like they're right. But it doesn't automatically make them right just because they think they're right. And there's a lot of people who, you know, they'll, they'll act like they know, and really they're at a loss when tragedy strikes because they've forsaken the absolute of God's Word. You can't make the Word of God unimportant. And then look for God in the important times in your life. You can't, for instance, you can't forsake uh, the assembling of yourselves together and coming to church. And I know some people have work uh, and, and different responsibilities and so forth. That, that, or the, the, there are some people that are not well. And there are some people that have viruses. I always have to qualify that. So I understand there are some uh, legitimate reasons why people are not here. But I will tell you something that you cannot put God in second place and make him unimportant in the eyes of your children. And then when they begin to stray from God, 
you come along and point your finger at them and say, why isn't God's word more important to you? Did you hear what I just said? You cannot make God unimportant in your life and in your conduct and in the eyes of your children. And then turn around when they walk away from it and, 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 and berate them because they have not made God's word more important in their lives. You cannot do that by example. Once you take it away uh, from them and you take away the sense of, uh, you know, the absolute from your own children, it's going to be hard for them to look at it seriously because the emphasis in the world is not to hold on to the absolute that we have. Everybody's an expert now, right? Everybody's an authority. Hey, listen, if you have a keyboard, you're, you're able to write whatever you want to now, and you're, you can present yourself like an expert about things. Isn't that right? It's interesting. Back, back in my day, back in my day, way back there, Brother Mike, anybody who had a platform generally had accreditation to be on that platform. They had credentials or they had training or they had expertise in some way in order to have the right to have a platform to speak on. So whether it would be an interview or whether it be a book written or something else, you know, they, they, had, a, they had credentials, they had training, they had, uh, you know, a, a good reason to be there. Today, all you need is a keyboard. And as a result of that, there's more information out there now than ever before, and people are more empty than ever before when it comes to truth. Because now, even people, when you read the truth, it's even hard to identify what is truth. Because you don't know who to believe. And the reason that that happens is because people don't have an absolute anymore in our world. And I'm not saying this necessarily to you here. I'm just saying that it's an easy trap to fall into. And what's interesting is Chesterton, G.K. Chesterton, the English writer, said this. When men stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing. They believe in anything. When men stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing. They believe in anything. When you lay God's word aside, let me tell you, you're capable of believing anything at that particular point. Years ago, I, I don't know why that I had this fascination with the Russian writer Alexander Solzhenitsyn. And even when I was in the world, I, I used to find him very interesting in the way that he wrote. Or it was just, Maybe there was something about the, the kind of writing that he did. Uh, but he was a, a thinker and an intellect and a, uh, a person who was uh, against the state of communism. And he wrote many books. The Gulag Archipelago uh, was one of them and several other books that I read when I was a young fellow. And I still have the books with me uh, even today. And uh, he made some very famous speeches. He became very famous. He died a few years ago and became very famous uh, in, in the writing circles and so forth. Very interesting guy. And uh, spent a lot of years in the, in the gulag, which is the process of uh, a state putting all of its political prisoners away in prison. This is relevant, folks. Hang on here. Uh, and, and he wrote about that process of how that 
one man like Stalin could rise up and cause such death and destruction of, of uh, you know, educators and universities and uh, the arts and everything else. Everybody who dis- did, didn't agree with him, uh, he would imprison them or send them out to Siberia. And we, Peter and I, we actually saw some of the barracks that people lived in, the wooden barracks they lived in out there in Siberia. And it was just amazing how that, uh, you know, one man, Stalin, could come to a place and a society would actually let uh, one man rule a country in such a godless way. And Solzhenitsyn tells a story of when he was a little boy. Remember his grandfather uh, who would be at the kitchen table and he would say to his family, he said, do you know why that we are in the condition that we are in? Do you know why that we have the evil and the, and the murders and the, and the political instability that we have today? Do you know why we have godlessness today in Russia? And he would ask his children and shake his finger at them. And he said, the reason that we have it is because we have left God out of the picture. This would have been at the turn of the century. That's the reason why he said, because we have left God out of the picture. Let me tell you, here's Brother Branham. He said, I I thought it was a very interesting statement. Now, I want you to follow this with me here. He says, when Christ came on Christmas 1900 years ago, the world was falling apart and everything had come to pollution. And the religious world had been polluted, and the Roman world morally was on its lowest ebb. And all the immorality of the world, and the Jews had forsaken their God and taken their solemn feasts and made it a ritualistic tradition because God had departed from them. Are you following me this morning? And they knew that there was something had to happen. The whole world did because it was falling apart. They knew, people knew, leaders knew that there was something had to happen. There had to be something come. There had to be something put in place here because the whole world's falling apart. In other words, good men with their intentions and their political promises tried to, tried to persuade people that they were the ones that were going to bring it all back together and hold society together and make Rome strong again and make their kingdom strong again. And they had every intention of trying to do that, but they couldn't do it. And their world was falling apart. And the reason their world was falling apart is because they had left God out. And they had put God out of their, out of their system and they had made God an option and they had excluded God and respect for God, uh, in all that they had done. And now the world's falling apart and there's no glue left to hold the thing together. And there was something to keep it together and the something to keep it together every nation in their own way was looking for something or someone to come and hold it together. So whatever it was needed to hold a country or a nation or a world together, they, need, they knew it was missing. They knew they didn't have it. They knew they had forsaken the cause of what kept nations and built nations in the great kingdoms back then. And they knew they had forsaken it. They were looking for it. And it was not found in money. It was not found in education. It was not found in better politicians or more elections. It was not found in any of that. It was found only in a respect for God's word. And when a nation obeyed God, and when a nation responded to the call of God, let me tell you, God systematically, back all through time, God blessed that nation. And if you don't believe that, ask the people of Nineveh who never died when Jonah left town. When people respect God's word as a nation, as a whole, as a group, God honored that people. And when you as a family or we as a church, when we respect God's word, God then has a channel of blessing to this people. 
And that's how you open and keep open that channel of blessing. And here's Brother Branham saying the whole thing has turned upside down. And he said the Roman world morally was on its lowest ebb. Let me tell you something. What you are witnessing in this country is a country that has left God out of the picture and tried to keep it together by politics and promises and money and riots and everything else. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And people have taken the truth, even common moral sense. They've taken that and they've cast it to the wind and said, we don't need anybody to come and teach us out of the Bible. We don't need to have any talk of the Bible at all. We want to do it our own way. And they have literally taken the glue out of society and let it fall apart. Let me tell you this, saints of God, and don't kid yourselves because this applies to us as well. That you cannot take God's word in the message of the hour and begin to twist and turn it yourself and make it work and somehow or another expect God to bless you just because you bring your carcass here in the church or just because you write a check and pay your tithes and so forth. Let me tell you, that's, that's a good thing, not a bad thing at all. It's good for you to be here. It's good for you to pay your tithes. It's good for you to be obedient to God's word. But let me tell you, what God is looking for is that life on the inside that just simply says amen to every word that, that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's what God's looking for, a heart that's in agreement with God. Are we okay? You remember, you remember in the Old Testament... When uh, in the book of Numbers, the story is told when uh, the, the children of Israel, uh, they, are, they are mixing with the nations, the Moabites. They're mixing with them uh, and, and systematically weakening the camp by bringing in outsiders, unbelievers and so forth, and marrying them among their people, right? You remember that? In the book of Numbers and, and uh, one of the... One of the Israelites came into church and brought in this Moabitish girl, the Bible says. Sat next to her and, you know, hoping everybody looks. Look at this pretty girl. It's my new girlfriend and, and sitting in the church. And you remember one of the, one of the guys who was there, who I, I uh, consider to be one of the first deacons, he, he took a spear, took a javelin, and just walked down in the, in the sanctuary and ran the javelin right through him and her. And kill them both right in church. That's my kind of service. I mean, not that you, not that you want to see anybody dead in church, but I mean, that's somebody who's really zealous for God. Now, what's really interesting in situations like that is always when you see God's reaction to that. How does God react to that? Did God strike him dead for killing those two people in church? But rather, God comes down and says, see that guy? I'm going to bless him and his seed for a long time. Because he did the right thing of putting the evil out from among you. Brought it right into the church. Let me tell you something. You cannot take something that's wrong in the eyes of God and in the Word of God and move it online and now all of a sudden make it okay. What we would do in person, oh, we have enough respect for that. But then we can move it all online. And everybody thinks, oh, wow, the rules don't apply online. Yes, they do. And you can't take your own ideas and twist them around and make them work the way you want them to work. And just because, uh, you know, we have an age where everything is done on the Internet now, relationships still matter. And the boundaries that God gives us for relationships, they matter, don't they? Here's Brother Branham. To me, I think it's a very important thing that he's telling us here that, uh, sorry, let's, let's just... 
<clears throat> Lost my spot. Second Peter chapter 1, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Lust exists in our world. The way to escape it is not, is not by your own discipline. It is by the virtue and the nature of Christ. Right? The only way you're going to survive morally, the only way you're going to survive unscathed in a very dirty world is to have the nature of Christ in you that knows when to stop. It knows when to pull you back in terms of temptations and so forth. And all of those things are the checker that the Holy Spirit is in our lives. That's the reason why. Let me tell you something. When the Holy Spirit gradually begins to lift, then now the standards in movies and television all begins to change, doesn't it? And what should be an outcry back there when it begins, now that voice, that voice that's contrary to it is lessened and quieted more. And so all of a sudden now we find ourselves today where we are with the immorality that's, that's, that's wholesale in, 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 in every form of media that's out there, right? Whether it's music or whatever else, it's all there. How did, it, how did we get there? We didn't get there overnight. We got there gradually. Because people did not pay attention to the Holy Spirit back in the day when all of that began. And Satan knows how to play the game. He knows how to do things gradually in the lives of people. Isn't that right? You cannot, you cannot leave God out and expect things to go right. You lose the glue that holds it all together. Now, Brother Bannon makes this statement here. I thought this was pretty funny. He says, a man called me and said, this woman's got at least three devils. One of them is named Jess, and the other one is named Seth. Didn't have a name for the other one. This is what somebody's telling Brother Branham. And intelligent people sitting there supporting that meeting by the hundreds and hundreds and said, one of them is green, one of them is blue, and the other one is pink. These demons that are there. And I thought, God, don't let that happen. Those people that were struggling so hard to get to the kingdom of God, and they flocked by the hundreds to listen to such Tommy Rod. And you know what? They've never been inside the veil. That's one sure thing. If they ever get in there, they'd know different from that. My sheep know my voice, and a stranger they won't follow. Look at the last part of it here. He says, the reason this goes on is not that the people are not sincere. It's not that they don't want to make it to heaven. They do want to make it to heaven. But he said the reason why, he said they've never been inside the veil. They have, they have no idea of the absolute of God's word. When you take God's word as an absolute, let me tell you something. It's going to change your thinking altogether. And it doesn't matter what everybody thinks. And it doesn't matter what everybody does. I'm going to guide my conduct. And I'm going to let the Holy Spirit impress me to guide my conduct by the word of God. Somebody ought to say amen. And Brother Bam said there's one sure thing. That if they ever get in behind the veil, he said they'll never believe Tommy Rot such as that. They'll never believe the, you know, the, uh, the craziness uh, like that. He said, they will rather uh, my sheep know my voice and they'll follow God. If they ever once get that real true encounter with God, if they ever really get to that place where they meet God face to face, he said, then I'll tell you what, they will not follow crazy things like that anymore. They've become crazy. Hey, it's like the, wor- it's like the story, the emperor has no clothes, right? That's the way the world has become. People are following things that they believe is right and it's absolutely crazy. The world is crazy. In case you haven't been out there in the last hour, world's crazy. 
And it's getting crazier. I'm still preambling, so hold on. <clears throat> I, had the, I had the privilege of, uh, years ago, I think I told you before, going up to Roanoke, Virginia, and it was, it was Judiciary Day, uh, the day when the nation honors or pays respect to the judiciary. And uh, every day is something now, right? Last week it was National Donut Day. I don't know if the engineers knew about that, but it was National Donut Day. Uh, tomorrow will probably be National Apple Cider Vinegar Day or something. It's really, it's, every day is something. But this was the, the day that honored the judiciary in our country. And so they invited uh, former uh, Chief Justice, uh, former Justice, Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor uh, to come and speak. And she had retired or stepped back from the court because her husband had Alzheimer's disease. And so she was caring for him. And they invited her. And she took some uh, speaking engagements at different functions. And so because it was the day of, to honor the judiciary, uh, we had a chance to go and listen to her speak in Roanoke at one of the colleges there. It was fascinating. It was really wonderful to hear her talk. And uh, she was a good person. She eventually uh, passed away from Alzheimer's uh, disease herself. <clears throat> but one of the things that she was explaining to us was how that uh, the judiciary, judiciary in our country is, has been successful for so many years because they have uh, operated outside the realm of politics. So if, if judges are, uh, for instance, if they are elected, then they have to cater to their electorate like politicians do. But if judges are appointed then they have a responsibility only to the state, or in this case of the Supreme Court, they have, a, they have a responsibility to the Constitution to uphold the components of the Constitution. Right? Are we okay? Hey, listen, this is my first July 4th. I'm studying, folks. I'm getting ready for the first July 4th. I already have my shirt and everything already. My boys gave it to me. <clears throat> there is a move, she was describing a move where... Big business, in a sense, has been allowed to come in very close to the, to the judicial system. Not in the Supreme Court, but in, in other levels of the, of the judiciary. And influence um, judges by uh, gifts and bribes and different things like that that goes on all the time. And she was warning about that. And she was talking about a case up in West Virginia where there were great coal mines there that had abandoned their uh, responsibility to follow safety regulations. And there was a, an accident and all kinds of people were killed. But because there were so many big businessmen who were involved and the judge had acquitted that company because there was so much money that had passed hands there, she was kind of saying that, you know, in, in a real sense, the, the judiciary had undermined itself. And now it, it became something that uh, the, the, the outcomes of cases and the, and the results of decisions now were based on who could give the greater amount of money to this judge or to this particular campaign or something else, you know, or particular uh, uh, enterprise. And, and it was a very sad thing to hear her talk about that because let me tell you something. When we talk about a world falling apart, we're not just talking about earthquakes and viruses. We're talking about a society that once is founded on something solid, but because of its disrespect for the Word of God and the thing that it once stood on has now moved from that foundation, naturally that world begins to fall apart. And the worse falling apart 
is not the infrastructure and the bridges and the viruses in our, in our world, even though that's bad enough. Let me tell you, the worst falling apart is that when a society loses its way and it has no means to right itself except promise with promises that are absolutely empty. And you are witnessing a world that is falling apart. You young people, let me tell you, you're living in history. And if there was an age to come that you could describe what went on in this age, you'd be called upon to be a witness of what really happened back there because this is the age where all of that stuff really begins to show the strength of what it's like to lose its way and to veer away from the foundations that God has established. Are you with me? Are you following me this morning? This to me is is the greater thing that Brother Branham's describing here. Not only that, people, you know, they, they, would, uh, they would run after Tommy Rot like this and all the different games that ministers played in order to have crowds and have money and all the rest of that. But you go back to the other screen there in the world falling apart when he says, you know, that Rome morally, he said they were at the bottom of the pile and, and all, all the rest of it. And, and we've allowed, you know, as a nation, we've allowed certain things to creep in and now certain mindsets, certain thinking and certain divisions within... Uh, uh, politics and everything else. When in, in a time when people should be pulling together because of the emergencies and the tragedies that strike, people are rather pulling apart for their own gain. And we don't have enough moral fiber about us as a people to be able to pull together in times of emergency. You're looking at a world that's falling apart. And to me, that's the more serious fracture is that kind of a destruction within the society. Are we okay? Now, I I said all that to say this. Aren't you glad for things that are sure? Aren't you glad for things that are solid? Listen, you've been trained. You've been schooled. You've been taught as an adopted son or a daughter of God to hang on to the thing that is real and true and unchanging. So no matter what happens in our world, the Word of God stands true. The Word of God is absolutely solid. Now, one of those things that I never mentioned in that list there, and there are many things, obviously, if we went around the room, we could have lots of of suggestions of things that are solid and true, and we don't even need to debate or discuss. But one of the things that I wanted to talk about today was the subject of predestination. And predestination is a very, very important thing. And it's very, we all would agree if I asked you, do you all believe in predestination? Absolutely, absolutely true. Absolutely sure. We all would. But let's look at it in a, and, and this is, I'm obviously burned up a bunch of time here talking about the judiciary. And, uh, but, but let me just, let me just wade into this and see how far we can go. Is that all right? Doesn't it strike fear in your heart when the pastor says, oh, we've only got one service, so we're going to make it a good one, boys. No, I understand that you, I understand the, the principle here. The word heritage, and we're talking about the believer's heritage today, is something that comes or belongs to one by reason of birth. It's inherited. Uh, it's an inherited lot or a portion. But I want you to stop there and say that a heritage is a little bit different from an inheritance because an inheritance is something that you get just because you're born to a certain person. So Lucas would be subject uh, to an inheritance because he's my son. All right? And uh, whether he's a good boy or a not a good boy... Uh, it doesn't really matter. He's my son. So he has a certain, uh, you know, if my estate is divided between my sons, it doesn't matter whether what kind of a character he is. He's one of my sons, so he would, he would get that. Okay? And, and that's what an inheritance is. But we, we think about Abraham, for instance, when God told Abraham, look, up, look on the land, north, south, east, and west, 
He said, see all that land? It's yours. He never, he never gave it to Abraham because Abraham had relatives in that country. He never gave it to Abraham because he had any kind of physical connection to the land of Israel at all. He gave it to him by divine right. He just said, Abraham, I've decided to give you this land. It's my land, and I'm going to give it to you. And, and, and this is not something that is a natural thing. This is rather a, more of a, a spiritual thing, if you like. Something that's given by promise. It is something that is reserved for someone or something that is handed down from the past as a tradition. Something that has, has been or may be inherited by legal descent or succession. So it's similar to inheritance, but uh, there's some differences here, and we want to look at it again in just a moment here. Now, in Exodus chapter 6, Moses uh, said, And I will bring you into the land concerning which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for an heritage, for I am the Lord. This is what God said to, to Moses. I, I'm going to give it to you for an inheritance. So he takes his promise. And the children of Israel, have no, again, they have no physical connection to the land. Their only, their only claim to the land of Israel is because God gave it to them. And he said, I, I gave this to Abraham, and you're descendants of Abraham, so I'm going to give it to you, and uh, it's your land. So they walked in like they owned the place, because they did, spiritually speaking. Now, the people in the land didn't get the same message. They were not streaming that day. And so they did not get the memo that said that this land belongs to Moses and his descendants and, and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and their descendants. It didn't, didn't belong to them. So they fought Israel every step of the way. Are we still okay? But I need you to get in your head for a moment here this thought about predestination because uh, it, it, matters, it matters whether you are the seed of God or not. It matters whether you're the royal seed of Abraham or not. And the rest of this whole sermon, the rest of this whole talk is, is going to uh, really be significant to you. It's going to be important to you if you recognize that you are actually a child of God. Then there are certain things that are given to you, not because you deserve them and not because you have, uh, you know, your father was a saint or your grandfather was a preacher. It doesn't matter at all. It's because you are a child of God. There are certain things that are given to you that nobody can take away. Somebody say amen. That nobody can take away. There is a law, I told you a couple of years ago, there is a law called the right of return in Israel today. That means that if you can prove your genealogy, that you are actually a Jew or a descendant of a Jew, and when you come to the borders of the land of Israel and you can prove that, you can document that, you have a right of return, you can come across the border and be accepted as a full citizen, and nobody can stop you when you get there. It's called the right of return, and it's enacted even today. You can still do it today, but you have to prove that you're a child of God. And when you do, you can actually go across. Every promise in the land is yours. Every uh, service in the land is yours. Every political benefit in the land is yours because you're a full citizen, considered a full citizen of Israel. It's the right of return. Do you realize, saints of God, that that's also what God did in the last day for us, that we who are the children of God, and by your believing the word of God, you have a right of return back to the promised land of God's word and everything contained in it, and nobody can stop you, and nobody can turn you away at the border, even to the changing of our body and entering into the wedding supper in the millennium on the other side. Somebody say amen. Please, somebody say amen. There is a right of return that the elect have to come back into God's promised land because we are believers. As a believer, you have a right to everything that God has purchased for us. 
You have a right to everything that God has brought to us. Every promise. Every benefit. When Satan tries to come in and steal your health, when Satan comes in and tries to steal your joy, when Satan comes and tries to, uh, you know, intimidate you and make you feel less than what you really are, you should stand there and say, but I have a right of return. I can come back to the Word every time. I don't have to come back to less than the Word. I can come back to the Word of God every time because I am a true believer in God's Word. That's your right of return. It's a law in the land of Israel. And let me tell you, it's a law of God that he has in place for us. Now, Brother Branham, you remember this little incident. He was out in Oral Roberts University, and, and this is when they had the big uh, mail rooms, and they would bring trucks. Uh, Oral Roberts University back then had its own zip code because it would get so much mail back then. And uh, Brother Branham standing there in these machines that slid open the top of the envelope, take the contents out, check goes one way, letter goes another way, recorded the address, and all of this stuff was done with computers and uh, rows of people who were doing this clerical work there, receiving all of this, uh, you know, communication from people. Brother Branham is a guest of, of uh, Oral Roberts. He comes to the university or comes through the uh, facility then, which was prior to the university being built. And uh, he says, I stood there, he says, I, I could, could hardly get my breath. Such majesty that a poor boy born in a dugout, a Pentecostal, could do that, could build something like this. And I thought, oh God, maybe I'm not worthy. And, and just then a little voice came down through those corridors and said, but I'm your portion. I'm your heritage. I'm your inheritance. And I thought, oh, Lord God, let's just let that stay that way because I wouldn't have the intelligence to carry on a great work like that for you. But as long as you're my portion, I'm yours, and you'll lead me. I could not lead myself, but, Lord, you lead me. So right away, this has nothing to do with worth. Brother Bram says, maybe I'm not worthy. Maybe I'm not educated enough. Maybe I'm not administrative enough or something. God says, this has nothing to do with it. I'm your portion. I'm, I, I, I'm, I've given you an inheritance. I've given you a heritage here, and you don't need to worry about any of that. This is not based on worth. Come on, folks. This is not based on performance. This is not based on whether you attended at least three out of four services every month. It has nothing to do with that. This is God's election, God dealing with his son and letting him know, hey, I'm your portion. You don't need to worry about any of that. I'm your portion. And if he's our portion, Brother Bram said that's good enough. All right. 1961. Here's Brother Branham, and he says, Now, how many tribes were there of the earth? How many tribes in the earth? Three. Ham, Sham, and Japheth's people. Now, that's Jew, Gentile, Samaritan. They're all sprung up from those three sons. He said, if, and God forgive me for saying, if the Bible's right, all the earth was destroyed but them three boys. That's exactly where our generations sprang from. Our generation sprang from. I added the S in there, sorry. That's exactly where our generation sprang from. So we know that, you know, that all, all humanity goes back to those three. And eventually if you go back and, and cycle back another 2,000 years, it would go back uh, to Adam, of course, right? Because we all come from Adam. Almost. But this we know, the choke point in history, the choke point in genealogy is the flooding of the earth. 
Because out of the, out of the ark, we have no record that Adam had, or sorry, Noah had any more sons. But out of the ark come those three boys. And those three boys, all the races of the earth, come forth. Now, we know, too, that this is a really big deal to God. It's a really important thing to God. And that's why I'm taking my time on it here. That, like Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and he's describing a problem in the church to Timothy and the assurance Timothy needs to have in situations like this. And the problem here is Hymenus and Philetus who are teaching a false doctrine. They're teaching that the resurrection's passed already. And as a result of that, Paul tells Timothy, and you can read the chapter, their teaching is like a canker in the church, meaning like a cancer. And he says, uh, whereby some people, their faith is actually overthrown. There are some people who, when they go through church problems, they'll never come back because they figure, you know what, I'm, just, I'm not going to have anything to do with it anymore. And they, can, they can walk away. They can stay home. I, I don't agree with that, but I, I, do know, I, I understand it. I understand why some people would draw back. I think it's really important if somebody draws back for us to find a reason why. Because if we can help them, to help them have a better understanding or a better, uh, you know, a better sense of, of God's word and God's truth. Because very often it's not the Bible that they have conflict with. It's not the message. It's what people do to it is what they have problems with. That's why most problems occur in churches. And, and so Paul says, though, that in situations like this, the faith of some is overthrown. And they don't make it through difficulties that come in the church. I'll guarantee you, I'm thankful in our assembly here, we've been in contact with everybody. Like I didn't mention the males today. You know, uh, Brother Mail is working every, every weekend. He's on a month rotation. Sister Mail's in Florida. And so, you know, I've been in contact with them as well. You haven't seen them, but I've been in contact with them. But there are in probably most assemblies around the country, and now we're hearing around the world, there are some people that never show up back again to church. And sometimes... Satan will throw curveballs out there. It can be false doctrine. It can be a minister who falls in sin. Or it can be some, you know, environmental or some third-party trouble that comes up and scares people away. And, and they don't, you never see them again. You never hear from them again because they just kind of slip out. And they're like, many of them live in denial. They, they don't want to, I don't want to think about it. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to have anything to do with it. I just want to go to work and I want to, uh, live my life and just leave me alone. Don't make it complicated and don't have all these, all these other things to think about. There are some people who live that way. I know you don't know any of people like that. And, but here's the thing that Paul slips in for Timothy to understand, and that is this. Nevertheless, he says, the foundation of God stands sure. The Lord knoweth them that are his. You can count on this. God knows his own. God knows where they are. He knows what age they're coming in. And he knows how to reach them. He knows just what to say and when to say it in order to attract his elect. He's very good at that. And so Paul drops this in for Timothy to understand that the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ, let them depart from iniquity. There's something, there's something uh, that connection between God and his own, that connection is very real. But it's not a, it's not a like a modern evangelism would, would let you think, and we're going to throw the net over and see who comes in. God already knows who's coming in before the net is even made. 
Are we okay? God knows, God knows his own, not by virtue of the age they're, they're now physically born in. God knew him before the foundation of the world. And their names were on the Lamb's Book of Life over there by the organ, right? So this is not a surprise to God. It's not a guess to God. And so even though Timothy's going through this in his church here and he's got people who believe contrary and there's, you know, different things. There's some people not coming back to church. There's disagreement here. There's probably people complaining to Timothy and saying things to him and so forth. And why didn't you do this? And how about that? And how about something else? What do you believe? Paul writes to Timothy and says, listen, hang on, buddy. Be sure of this one thing. The Lord knoweth them that are his. And he's not going to lose one of them. Jesus said, no man can pluck them out of my hand. Now, part of what people don't like is the exclusivity of the gospel. They don't like the fact that um, the gospel isn't for everybody. We live in an age of people's rights. It's not hard to believe in our day we're living in, right, that everybody's got their rights and they want to... They want me to be able to burn down the police station because I have my rights to do this or whatever else, and I don't want to go there. But I, I want you to notice something here about God's, God's thinking here in terms of this. 1952, this is the early part of Brother Bam's ministry, and he's talking about the scripture in Jeremiah. He said, before you were even formed in your mother's belly, I knew you and called you and sanctified you and ordained you a prophet over the nations before he was ever born. You believe in predestination, foreordination? He's asking the question. You believe in that? He said, it's altogether by grace. It's not by desire. It's by grace. God called Abraham out of the whole world people. Why? Because Abraham was better? No, sir. It's grace. God's chosen election and call. And you are what you are because of the grace of God has made you what you are. You know what that is? That's unexplainable. That's the problem with that. It's unexplainable. The reason we have the argument between evolution and intelligent design, for instance, is because scientists like to put everything in a scientific box and have a scientific reason for everything that happens scientifically. But when it comes to things that God does, he doesn't always have a scientific reason. Right? And so it, it's when somebody raises an objection... Uh, you know, to evolution and says that we all have this macro, uh, macro um, evolutionary kind of a thing where one cell was in the beginning and then everything went from this uh, cell to, to where we are now, every living creature. And scientists have got to find a rationale to explain all of that, which is pretty hard to do. Really? Because a single cell involved into mankind who can think and reason and have a soul and all the rest of it? Soul? Soul? Who created the soul? Right? Or the relationship between the mind and the brain. Go talk to a cow and see how his relationship is between his mind and his brain. But that's supposed to be this macro-evolutionary thing, uh, which, you know, one cell caused everything to happen. Now, I believe in a micro-evolutionary process where Brother Branham said the same thing, that it was an, an evolution within a species, right? So the reason you have some of the, uh, you know, funny-looking cats and dogs and things like that is because within the species, uh, there, there was an evolution and a development within the species. But let me tell you, you're not a monkey. Despite what your brothers and sisters tell you, you're not a monkey. You're not an ape. 
And so, Brother Branham was not one who denied the processes whereby God allowed, you know, the world to exist and organisms to exist. But, but he believed that man was made in the image of God. So now we're outside the box when it comes to science, and that's why science rejects the idea of anything to do with relation or creationism and so forth. They, they, they reject that, don't they? <clears throat> now, it, it's an interesting thing here, because Brother Manum's saying that uh, here's, here's something that uh, applies to Abraham, not because he's good, not because he's smart, not because he ran the race and came first, um, not because he was in the lottery and picked the right number. But this is sovereignly by grace that God chooses Abraham from before the foundation of the world. Figure that out. And when you figure that out, figure out why you were called and chosen and placed in this race. Why, are you, why is your name on the Lamb's Book of Life? Figure that out. There really is no logic as to why we are what we are. There's no logic as to why, who we are. Uh, God made us here. It's, it's God's sovereign grace. It's not anything to do with we were good people, because I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret. I was not. And many of you were not. Let's go to the other end of the spectrum of his ministry in the rapture. This rapture, this is 1965. He's only going to be on the earth less than a month. Okay? God's going to take him. This rapture that we're talking about is only for the bride. There it is again. That's that exclusivity that the gospel teaches us. Remember the Bible said, and the rest of the dead lived not for a thousand years. This great rapture. If there's not a rapture, friends, then where are we at? What are we going to do? What age are we living in? What promise do we have? There is going to be a rapture. Somebody say amen. That's a positive thing. That's a sure thing. And the Bible says that there will be, 1 Corinthians 15, and it will be only for the elect, the elected lady, the bride in this day that's pulled out, the church. Emphasis mine. The very word church means called out. As Moses called a nation out of a nation, the Holy Spirit is calling a bride out of a church, a church out of a church, members from every denomination making a bride, a bride tree. Are we okay? A bride coming out. The bride is the one that's going to be in the rapture. That alone. Nothing should be in yellow. Nothing but the bride. The elected ones, foreknown by God from the beginning, the Father's spiritual genes. Not the seeds as of many, but of one, which is Christ. Which is what Paul wrote in Galatians 3. So, here's Brother Branham. Believe him or not, he's either really right or he's really wrong. I happen to believe that he's right in saying that the bride is the one that's going to be in the rapture. Only the bride, the elected ones, the foreknown by God from the beginning. Now, if it's based on foreknowledge from the beginning, then it has nothing to do with what you did in the interim. Are we okay? Yes, you mess up. Yes, we make mistakes. Yes, we get sick. Yes, things go haywire in our lives. Yes, things don't, they don't always turn out like we planned to have them turn out. But let me tell you, the decision by God is not a cumulative report that he looks at of the events of your life and says, on the scale, they're good. On the scale, they're not so good. It's already been determined before the foundation of the world. That's what foreknown by God from the beginning, the Father's spiritual genes, means. So I have good news for you. There is no report of your life. 
I don't know about you, but I take the report of every day and put it under the blood of Christ. So it's removed from me as far as east is from the west. I don't want God to see my actions. I want him to see my desire. I want him to see my love for the word of God. I want him to see my representation before him in heaven. Is that okay? What, what, what did Jesus see when he went to talk to the woman at the well? He didn't look at her conduct. Even though he mentioned it, he didn't look at it. He looked at her representation that she had from before the foundation of the world. And so that's what election is based upon. That's what, that's what predestination is based upon, is what God did before the foundation of the world. And there are many benefits that come to those people, like the rapture or the changing of our body. That's one of the benefits of being an elected person who lives in the last day, in the last, in the last of the last, when the Gentile bride is concluding. And I will, I will assure you, the Gentile bride is concluding. It's being wrapped up. That's why, to me, and I, I'm not saying this to raise money, all right? So please, uh, I'm not doing that. But when I saw that picture of Brother Malachi going to that little village out there, a village that probably doesn't even have a name, and it doesn't have electricity, or it doesn't have... I mean, hey, they probably don't even have Internet. <laughs> or a Target. They probably don't have anything like that. But to me, that's, that's a, he's a seed carrier of the Word, taking the message to one person in one little village like that in the middle of nowhere. And that person accepts it, believes it, baptizes me in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. To me, you know what that is? That's the wind-up. That's what you're looking at, the wind-up in action. This is not having a pan-African convention. This is God sending his angel like in the book of Acts, where one uh, you know, came and met the chariot of, of the Ethiopian. What you're looking at, what you're witnessing is the wind-up of the Gentile dispensation. And I believe we're looking the end in the face. I believe we're looking at the Gentile world on the skids. I believe the world is falling apart. And I believe there's no redemption for it politically, financially, socially, morally. What they're going to do is what Brother Branham said they were going to do, and the Bible says they're going to do, and that is look for a superman to pull them out before it all goes under. That's what they're going to look for. And you know what? They'll get it. But when they get it, you better pray we're out of here by then. Because it will not exactly be message friendly. The system that gets put in place then will not be message friendly. And so therefore, uh, God has a plan to get his bride out. And, and that's, to me, I hope you're getting this, that there are sure things in life. There are lots of uncertain things in life. And I mentioned some of them to you. But there's a certain, there are certain things in life. And the certain things is what God did from before the foundation of the world. Sealed it with his own blood and said, these are the individuals. And I know where they are. I know them. No man can pluck them out of my hand. And every one of them will be there by the grace of God. So this brings up this idea of heredity. And I just want to say this, because we don't have time really to jump into it here and, and do justice to it. But just to say this, that science and biology today are catching up with what God has already placed in human beings for a long time prior to now. I mean, isn't it true that 
uh, people who lived in um, Abraham's time had fingerprints? Isn't that true? And everybody back in the days of Abraham had a unique retina. Yeah, I mean, that would be true, wouldn't it? Uh, maybe a, a voice graph. Everybody back in the days of Abraham would have had a unique voice graph. Absolutely, for sure. But you know what? The process of distinguishing each person's unique retina scan or fingerprint was not invented back then. The way to capture that was not invented back then. But it existed. And the, the structure of a human body hasn't changed in the 20th century because the science exists now to be able to know what the human body contains. I said, the human body hasn't changed. The same body they're looking into today is the same kind of body that existed, you know, a thousand years ago on the earth. But they didn't know. God knew because man is fearfully and wonderfully made. God knew what was in a man. And there was a long time in science where people believed that the smallest unit of life was a cell. That was the smallest thing, part of a man. They'd figured that out. <clears throat> but now we've, we've come a little bit farther than that because now we know that inside that cell there's all kinds of really interesting stuff that's in there, all kinds of stuff that goes on. And there's DNA in there. DNA is like a little library that has all the information about you that anyone would need to know if they wanted to build another you. It was really interesting because over time they began to discover that when they had, you know, different experiments and different methods. Now, I just want to say this. I'm tempted here, but I'm not going to do it. I just want to say this. Heredity is important because it proves who the father is. You can go back one generation and say, I came from there. You can go back two or three generations and say, that's where I came from. And heredity is important. Now, today, heredity is really interesting because if they want to solve some crimes, now, like those poor fellows who've been in jail for 20 years and finally they knock on his door and say, hey, you can go free. How come? Because you didn't do it. But for the last 20 years, everybody told me I did it. The judge told me I did it. Everybody told me I did it. But you didn't do it. I knew that, but nobody else did. So you can go free. Because now they have definitive proof through their different measurements and different analysis that, you know, a person's DNA was never at that scene of the crime. So, therefore, they go free. And, and so they can take a child and they can say, uh, you know, Lucas is definitely my son because there's a match in the DNA. And so there's no question about it at all. He would be my son rather than Brother David. Sorry, Brother David. I know that might ruin your day. But if, uh, you know, if we did the test here, it would definitely prove that David is not my son. I'm not his father. But you see, we can go back and we can definitively determine who the father is. And if we know who the father is, my goodness, that allows, that allows certain doors to open up. If your father is a criminal, if your father is, you know, good for nothing, well, you know, that's your father. But if your father happens to be the king of kings and the lord of lords, and if your father happens to be eternal, and if your father happens to be supernatural, all-powerful, and he's the one who's able to create worlds and go sit on them, 
If your father is, is the one who, uh, you know, by the breath of his own mouth and the sweep of his hand can create galaxies and universes and establish plants, planets and let them hang in the universe there and know the name of every one of them and the position of every one of them. And, and your father is one who is that person. Let me tell you, that opens up all kinds of things for you, doesn't it? And I'm going to say to you today that I believe that the science that people have discovered today is really only indicating what God was doing all along. But you know what? We're not interested in the scientific part because, uh, you know what? If, 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 if I've got to make it because of who I'm descended from spiritually, I mean, you know, in, in a, in a uh, let me say it this way. If I'm going to make it in based on who my parents are, I stop at the first generation. Because once you go back in my genealogy, as you know, and you've seen the examples, it just goes downhill to a bunch of pirates and brigands and prisoners and all the rest of it. So naturally, I'm not interested in that connection. But I am interested in the connection to my Heavenly Father. Not my Heavenly Grandfather, because I don't have one. But I only need to go back one step to my Heavenly Father. And if I can prove heredity back to my Heavenly Father and realize that I'm a part of God, I'm a son of God, or a daughter of God, and I've got His life in me. Let me tell you, that opens up for me everything that my Father owns, because I am His son. And this is what God was trying to tell Abraham. And this is what God was even trying to tell Moses in Exodus chapter 6 when he came into the land. This is your land, because I gave it to my son Abraham and Isaac, and Jacob, and their descendants, and you are one of them. So you have a right to this land. You have a right to this real estate because you're in the right family. That's it. You're in the right family, and you have a right to this. You are my son. You are my offspring. You are my creation, and therefore you have a right to everything that's in the land. Don't you see, saints of God, by the same token and by the same principle, and he has changed not that if we are the sons and daughters of God, we have a right to everything that's in this land because we are members of the right family. We have the right genes in us. We have the right spiritual goods in us to connect us to our Heavenly Father who made every one of these promises. And if His Word is true, and I believe that it is, if His Word is right, and I believe that it is, if His Word is solid and absolute, and I believe that it is, then every promise in the book is ours. And it's yours for the enjoying. There are rewards in the other world that we're going to. But there are things now that you can enjoy. You can enjoy salvation today. Can't you? You can enjoy healing right now. As a matter of fact, even when the squatter comes in, Satan comes in and tries to steal that from you, because because you're a believer, even though you may be a sick believer, or you might be a depressed believer, or you might be a downcast believer, or you might be, I don't know, you know, going through different things in your life. But let me tell you something. The heredity is what makes a difference. Not how you feel. Aren't you glad it's not based on how you feel? Because there are times when we feel really close to God. There are times when we feel really good about our spiritual walk. And then there are times you're standing there saying, Lord, are you sure? Are you sure? My goodness. Surely you must have made a mistake when you chose me. 
And sometimes we actually think that way. And we feel like we're a long way from God. And that's based on your feeling. Listen, he said he'd never leave you nor forsake you. So that feeling comes, but that's not the promise of the presence of God. Because he said he'd be with you, even in you. And isn't it true that God watches over you even when you feel like you're far away from God? Isn't that true? You can testify of things, experiences that you've had, or ways that God has saved you and brought you back when you felt like you were away from God and away from the, you know, the family of God and your church and everything else. But the Holy Spirit's right there to give you a word or put your, put His hand on your shoulder and bring you back to where you need to be because He said He'd never leave you nor forsake you. And that is true today, the same as it ever has been. It's not because you do everything right, but it's because You believe. And your believing is the thing that connects you to your Father. Jesus turned to the Pharisees and he said, You're of your father, the devil. And what he says, that's what you believe and that's what you do. He was the father of a lie. And you guys are believing the lie the same way today. And you're willing to kill me because of that lie. You're of your father, the devil. He said, that was not Abraham. That was not Abraham. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and he was glad. Even though Jesus himself, the man, the body, was not there in Abraham's day, when God showed up behind a veil in Morphe and he showed up in Abraham's day, Abraham caught the revelation of who that was and he realized, hey, that's Jehovah, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I recognize that because my sheep hear my voice. And he knew exactly that that was God. Let me tell you, that's a real good sign of the elect because they just, they just know. They don't always know logically. They don't always know scientifically. But I know this message is right. How many of you can say that? I know that God is right. I know that God is real. I know that he's my Savior. I know I'm forgiven of my sins. I know his word is right. I know this message is true. And I know that I'm going to be in that rapture and I'm going to be at the winning supper. And i got a place over there. Glory to God. Let's stand to our feet and let's have our musicians come. Thank you for bearing with me through the preamble here. But let me tell you something. The promise that Brother Branham makes to us from the beginning of his ministry to the end of his ministry is very clear and it's very sure that there is going to be a rapture. The Bible assures us of that. And it is not for everyone. It is for the bride of Christ. And that bride of Christ is one that is already known of God. Already known of God. He knows who she is. He knows exactly where she is. And God knew he could throw surprise things at you and throw troubles out your way. God knew that things would happen in our time that probably no one else would have ever guessed would have happened. But the bride of Christ has one destiny, and that destiny is to be right here. Right here where he said, to take our place at the wedding supper. They're not deterred by much. They're they're human. She goes through all kinds of things that humans go through. But I will assure you something. She's not a people that turns her back on God. She doesn't turn her back on God's Word. She believes the Word of God. And she's willing to go all the way through. All the way through. All the way through. Let's sing that little chorus, Do You Want to Know Where I'm Going? Let's sing that this morning here before we leave. Sing it out loud now together. Do you want to know where I'm going, where I'm going soon? Anybody ask you where I'm going? 
to yonder. Yes, I'm going up to yonder. I'm going up to yonder to be with my Lord. Going up to yonder. Yes, I'm going up to yonder. Lord, I'm coming up to yonder. Be with my Lord. Now I can take the pain, the heartache it brings, comfort in no end. I'll soon be gone. As God gives me grace, I'm gonna run this race. Till I see my Savior face to face. Well, I'm going up to yonder. Yes, I'm going up to yonder. Lord, I'm going up to yonder to be with my Lord. Yes, I'm going up to yonder. Lord, I'm going yonder I'm going up to yonder to be with my Lord sing that first verse again you want to know where I'm going where I'm going to if anybody asks God is good, isn't he? We know where we're going. We know where we're going. The hard questions have been, have been answered. We know where we're going once we leave here. I sing praises to you, Lord. Let's sing that little chorus this morning here. We know where we're going. These are the promises that are given to us. We live in a world where things are becoming more uncertain all the time, right? That's, that's a characteristic of a world in collapse. But for God's people, His promises should be coming more real, more solid all the time. Sing it with me now. I sing praises to your name. Oh, Lord, praises to your name. Oh.
quotes on the screen there and let you know years after. And Brother Branham said that all of this was determined before the foundation of the world, Lamb's Book of Life and the promises, certain things for certain ages. I think that's great. I think that's right and I think it's what we should do. But I'll tell you what, it's got to go from the board to your heart to where you realize that's me he's speaking about. You know what? That's me. I'm the one that has the promise for the rapture. And if I'm that one, nothing can stop me. Nothing can hinder me from being there. I will be there. God ordained me as a, as a believer in this last day, as a member of the bride. And if death doesn't take me you know, through the door prematurely, then you know what? I, I, I'm going I'm to make it. I'm going to be there. And nothing's able to stop me. Nothing's able to stop me. It's got to go from there to there. Right? It's not good enough for us to acknowledge Brother Branham said it about himself. But it's got to be something that arises from within your heart and realize, you know what? Predestination is a very sure thing. It's a very strong thing. It means a lot to God. There's a lot of scripture that's devoted to it. And there's a lot of uh, sermons that are devoted to it. It means a lot to God because he wants you to know you're not part of just some random collection of people here on the earth. This is actually a family reunion. This is God bringing back his children. God bringing back his sons and daughters. And God bringing the family back together and back into eternity again where we will be like we always should have been in the first place. And that is in paradise with God. Right? And I, I, I trust in saying this, that this, in some way or another, I can say it or, or, you know, articulate it well enough that it'll go from there. And with the Spirit's help, it'll go from there to your heart to realize, you know what, nothing can take away my heritage. Nothing can take away my sonship and my daughtership. Nothing can take away my inheritance. This is something that God ha- has given to me. I want God to speak to your heart and say, I am your portion. I want you to have the consolation that he's your portion. Just like he said to Brother Branham there. Had nothing to do with his ability to run an organization. Had nothing to do with his worth. Hey, we're all sinners. Right? All of us are sinners. Come to the world speaking lies. There's no good in any of us. So that's the basis we all start on. But God says, you know what? That's that's the way you started in this earth. But you started in my heart way back before there was even an earth. You're my son. You're my daughter. And when you can realize he's my portion, boy, I'll tell you what, I've done my job. I've I've, I've communicated what I need to communicate. And I'll tell you what, it needs to be something in our hearts that it just burns daily. And then you take 
And you take the group like in Nehemiah. Now they're Old Testament, right? But Nehemiah leaves town and all these other influences come in here. To Nehemiah, he's saying, hey, hey, hey. Where's all this coming from? Because believers with the Spirit of Christ in the New Testament now, us, we ought to recognize, hey, there are some things that the devil will try to lay on us, even if we get up and proclaim we're God's sons and daughters. And he'll try to infiltrate your life with all kinds of things that are not meant to be there. And we've got to learn not only to rejoice in the promise that God's given to us, but you've got to keep your, t- your weapon in your hand and fight off the temptations that come by way of the enemy, right? So we are Nehemiah. We are, we are those people there, but we have to learn to fight, and we have to learn to fight right. Oh, I'll tell you what. Uh, <laughs> I better quit. I better quit. I'm grateful. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Let's sing that this morning here. Let's have a word of prayer. Hey, while we're here, if you need prayer, I'll be glad to pray with you. Is there anything that I could do any, if, if you want to come and you uh, want to have hands laid on you, you're certainly welcome to come and do that. In whatever way, in whatever way we can minister to you, we're obviously glad, I'm glad to do that. Let's sing it this morning. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ His Son. Oh, give thanks Just give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ His Son. And now let the weak say, I am strong. Holy One, give thanks.
because he's given Jesus Christ his son and now let the weak say I am strong and let the poor say I am Father, we thank you for this opportunity we've had to be in your presence, Lord, and be able to enjoy the good things that you provide for us. Lord, we're so thankful for sure things, for solid things. We have not heard an uncertain sound in our time, but Lord, we have heard certain things that have come to us, Lord, by a vindicated prophet and through the Word of God that are clear, precise. There's things that we can stand upon and have no fear of sinking. And Lord Jesus, we believe that you have called a people to stand on these promises, Lord. We believe you have called a people long before we got here to believe this word in the last day. And so, Lord, we want to proceed without fear. We want to proceed, Lord, and identify the hand of the enemy whenever he comes so that we can just stand on the things that are true. We love you today, Lord. We pray for those who are sick. The ones, Lord, we prayed for and the ones, Lord, who are uh, struggling with different issues in their life. I just ask that your grace and your mercy be extended to them. Lord, for those who are listening today and parts of our assembly, Lord, we pray that your grace and mercy would be just very present in their lives. We love you and we thank you, Lord, and pray that you would just continue to do good things among us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
I'd just like to say this as we dismiss this morning. We have to just fan out as we depart from the building here. But I, I really appreciate your cooperation and your patience in dealing with the rules that are given to us. And hopefully it will not be long at all. But uh, you're a very gracious people, and I, I thank you for that. appreciate you all being here today. And the deacons have done a great job in trying to keep everybody safe and separated and all of that. But separation from each other is not what we like to do. But uh, I trust that God will bless you. We have service on Wednesday, and we'll see you then. And uh, we look forward to our time in the presence of the Lord again. God bless you this morning as you go. We've been made more than conquerors, overcomers in this life. victorious through the blood of Jesus Christ